Hello, and welcome back to Warrior Walker. Again, we recently changed the name from Grateful Gwenna to Warrior Walker. That was a Holy Spirit-led decision, but it's still the same podcast, so welcome back. I hope you're safe, and if you're not, please get to a safe place and call the National Center for Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. And those of you who are listening to this podcast from another country, I thank you. And I don't know what your resources are there, but I would encourage you to get to a safe place and um, try to look those up. So in today's podcast, I'm going to be addressing something that has kind of been a topic I've been avoiding a little bit or a lot maybe, and that has been the topic of spiritual abuse and, or that is the topic of spiritual abuse. And why have I kind of been avoiding it? Because I don't feel like I'm an expert on the topic, but once again, as always with my podcasts, I can simply share my experiences, my research, my thoughts, and my opinions with you. And please keep in mind that um, although I am in the process of working on becoming a, um, a life coach, and I am almost halfway through my mental health coaching classes and course, Um, I am not yet a licensed counselor or professional, so um, please understand, this is my disclaimer, please understand that this is my opinion, okay? Um, It is based on my own experiences, what I've observed in the experiences of others, those close to me, those around me, and my research, Um, and it is not necessarily a licensed opinion, if that makes sense. But um, this morning, I'll be addressing the topic of spiritual abuse. And as it relates to domestic violence, what exactly is spiritual abuse? Well, I'm not really going to give you a definition per se, but in my opinion, as it relates to domestic violence, spiritual abuse to me is um, when a well-meaning Christian pastor or someone else from usually within a church body tries to help you when they find out you're a domestic violence victim by trying to give you biblically inept spiritual advice. What do I mean like by that? Well, in my opinion, the primary ministry of the church is reconciliation. Um, The main goal of any Bible-following Christian is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? That's talked about in the book of Matthew in the Bible. So the main purpose and the main 
goal of most churches and most ministries and most pastors and many Christ followers, especially within church bodies, is to reconcile people to Jesus Christ, to bring people to have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And yes, we absolutely want that. I mean, that is the Great Commission, right? We have been commissioned as Christ followers to go out and make disciples of all nations. In other words, to help um, plant seeds and eventually um, be an aid in the process of people coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and their best friend, just as we know him as our friend and personal Lord and Savior. He is Messiah, Adonai, right? And that is the main goal. So with that said, the main ministry I feel in a church body, including the members and the leadership, pastors, um, board members, everyone, is to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or to help them to eventually come to that themselves. And that is um, one of the main reasons I feel we've been put on this planet, to worship God and to bring people to a saving knowledge of him. And we know that scripture says Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word word is a capital W. So that's referring to Jesus. That was mind-blowing the first time I realized that, by the way. Jesus was there from the beginning because he is also God. He's God, the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus being the Son of God. Um, but he's also fully God and fully man, according to Scripture as well. So that is the main ministry of the church, to reconcile um, lost souls or to reconcile sinners, which we all are, or to reconcile people to himself, Jesus. I'm talking about God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. And so that's a very important goal, obviously, and I would never want to take away from that because that is the main goal. But some of us also have ministries within the church for other things, like we might be a Sunday school teacher or a small group Bible study leader or um, different roles within the church. We might be even be a custodian within the church. I mean, the roles and possibilities for roles are endless of how we all come together and make up one fully functioning church body of Christ, right? So each role is important. And some roles are meant to be evangelistic, while others are meant to minister within the body. Some roles are meant to try to bring people outside of the church to Christ. And, and we all are ultimately responsible for that as well. But some of us have more of a focus on ministering to people inside the body of Christ or a different ministry, if you will. 
One of my personal ministries is the passion that I have to minister to women victims of domestic violence, especially women, because I am a woman myself. So again, as I always state on these podcast episodes, although I know that there are men who are abused by women, I am not a man. And so my ministry is more geared toward women because I am a woman. So um, my top three spiritual giftings I discovered in a recent spiritual giftings assessment that I took, um, which your giftings can change over the years, and mine have slightly but not a lot. Um, My top gifting used to be faith and then prophecy and then teaching. Well, that has changed slightly. My top gift is now prophecy And my second gifting is teaching. And my third gifting, the result was knowledge, as in biblical knowledge. So um, those giftings have changed over the years. But my passion, which God often uses um, what he's comforted comforted us with to help us comfort others, he often, God often uses from my experience and what I've observed and what I've noticed and what I've seen, God often uses our trials that we've overcome with his help. The things we've gone through in life, the struggles and the temptations that we've overcome, he often uses those difficulties and challenges and difficult situations and circumstances in our lives that he's helped us overcome. He often uses those to um, to to birth or breach a ministry in and through us. For me, the fact that I am a domestic violence survivor, um, no longer a victim, but a domestic violence survivor, means that I am often able to comfort um, other women who are or have been um, abused and because I've been there, I've done that. And so as scripture says, I'm able to comfort others with the same comfort God has given me because I understand what these women are thinking. And so that's my ministry. Okay. So with all that being said, um, sometimes in the church, even though people mean well, sometimes they misapply scripture, especially in the case of domestic violence. And in this situation, when this happens, when this occurs, that is what I am referring to as spiritual abuse. Personally, I believe it often happens unintentionally, especially with lay people. In other words, um, just members of a church or congregation or people that do not hold leadership positions. But it can also help happen with people in leadership as well. Even pastors still nowadays, most of them are not trained in domestic violence. And um, of course, their ministry, first and foremost, again, is to the reconciliation of a sinner or lost soul to their Savior, Jesus Christ. So pastors are usually trained in pastoral ministries, and I have yet to find one, although I haven't met everyone around the world, 
Um, but from what I've observed and in my experience and my research, generally speaking, I have yet to find a pastoral ministry that includes domestic violence training. I am really hoping that'll change someday. Um, and I did um, find and share on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, maybe. Um, there was a pastor who shared a really good sermon and I'll have to get back on here for another podcast and talk about it now that I'm thinking about it, um, about domestic violence. And it was the most informed um actually the only sermon I've ever heard on domestic violence by a pastor in a church in a service. Um, but unfortunately, it was, um, I don't want to say birthed again, but um, unfortunately it came about because this pastor was too late for a lady and she died. So, um, obviously, we need to do a better job of training our pastors and our leadership in our church congregations on how to help, especially women victims of domestic violence. Men too, but especially women. And I say especially women for a couple of reasons. One, scripture tells us, and, and this is what I have read in the Bible and believe it's saying, that women are the weaker sex. That doesn't mean we're inferior. Um, and for two, because statistically speaking, women are um, abused at a much higher rate than men. Now, I understand, I do understand that a lot of domestic violence goes unreported, but that's for women and men both. So I personally believe the statistic is still just as high. For women. So um, anyway, nobody should be abusing anyone else. Okay. Um, I'm not talking about your occasional, you know, getting angry and saying something you shouldn't say, or your occasional, I'm talking about, you know, real actual habitual abuse that happens more than once. And most of the time, if it happens once, it will happen again. It will happen more than once. And I was in denial about that for many years. So what are some examples of spiritual abuse? Well, again, um, I will start by using myself as an example um, because I can only share with you my experiences, what I've learned, what I've researched, what I've observed, what I've discovered. Um, I'll start with, these are going to be random examples. And please understand before I share these instances and these examples that I believe that every one of these people I'm going to talk about right here in a minute here, they had the best of intentions and intentions and they thought they were helping me. And I don't believe anyone had any ill intentions toward me or anyone else. They really believed they were helping. But um, for 10 years, I kept my ex-husband's abuse of me quiet. The police had been in and out of our homes, but my family didn't know. They didn't have a clue what was going on. 
I was excellent at covering it up, covering up his abuse of me. I became an expert at it. My church didn't know. We even had a marriage small group in our home that my abusive ex-husband led and facilitated. And they didn't even know. I mean, I kept it quiet. But you can only go so long being abused before it starts to affect you. It starts to affect your character. It starts to affect you as a person. It starts to affect you mentally, emotionally. Obviously, it's already affecting you physically. And you don't even realize some of the ways it affects you physically on a long-term basis um, or as a long-term result. Uh, But it starts to affect you and your disposition starts to change. Who you are begins to change. Because you have all these different reactions that you go through when it's happening to you. And, um, you know, I'm thankfully, I'm grateful. I'm to a point now where I can share these things with you and discuss it with you without crying because, you know, God's brought me enough healing. Um, occasionally I might shed a tear, but Um, that's why I'm able to speak about this now is because God's brought me so much healing and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I can share with you so that, um, if you're hopefully not, but if you are in a similar situation, maybe you can and will recognize it. Um, I know that God uses different things to help different people realize different things. Um, so anyway, like for example, for me, You know, it was one of my counselors saying, what if your son abused his wife? And I said, well, first of all, I'd give his wife money to leave my son. And then I'd go beat the shit out of my son. Excuse my French. And then I apologized for saying a bad word. And he said, no, your reaction is perfect. But why is it okay for you then? Why are you tolerating it for you if you wouldn't tolerate it for your son or his wife? And that was what it took for me personally to have that little wake-up call. So it is my hope and my prayer that if you are being abused, that something I share in these podcast episodes, even if it helps one person, um, something I share will be like that was for me, where it's kind of a light bulb moment or a wake-up call is what I call it. Like, if you wouldn't allow your child to be that treated the way you're being treated, then why do you feel it's acceptable for you. And if you say you don't feel it's acceptable for you, then why are you tolerating it? I'm not saying it's your fault, okay? Because we all know in certain circumstances, you you know, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous to leave your abuser. And I don't want to discourage anyone from trying to leave, but I want you to go about it in a prayerful and wise way. Scriptures tell us to be, what is it? Wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, I believe is what it says. So one time, one example of some spiritual abuse that happened to me, which I didn't realize it was actually spiritual abuse until many years later, was I had gone to my church where I was attending and had attended for a long time, and I was extremely depressed. And I suffer from chronic chronic depression anyway, um, according to my diagnosis. But uh, 
the severe physical, emotional, mental, psychological, and spiritual abuse that my ex-husband was putting me through at the time was really starting to affect me pretty deeply, pretty badly. And I was beginning to get so depressed that there was, at that time, I had begun having some suicidal thoughts, some suicidal ideations. This was a long, long time ago. And I went to the church one time, and it was all I could do to get myself to the church. I mean, I didn't even want to go out of the house because I was so depressed. But I managed to get myself to the church, I believe, with God's help. And I was just sitting there in the pews. And one of my so-called friends, again, I believe they had the best of intentions, came up and sat next to me and tried to talk to me. And I didn't tell them about the abuse. I kind of alluded to it, but my ex-husband had threatened me so much and in so many ways that I'd better never tell anyone what he was doing. And that if I did, you know, I shouldn't be talking about what happens behind our closed doors because that was private, you know, and that if I did, I was a bad wife and I wasn't being an obedient wife and I wasn't obeying God and I didn't love God because I wasn't obeying his commands, which by the way, all that is spiritual abuse and brainwashing as well by my ex-husband. But anyway, and, and I had been told that so much and so often, not only by my ex-husband, but also by the church, which they weren't talking about abuse, but I didn't know that at the time. They were talking about and assuming that we had a healthy relationship, which we did not. And no matter how much I tried to tell the overseers, the elders and the leaders, they didn't believe me and I couldn't figure out why. Which years later, about seven or eight years later, um, I finally found out why because I had multiple people, old friends from my old church that I had since left, this church I'm talking about, seek me out on social media. And a bunch of them sent me private messages. They sent me cards. They sent me gifts. Every single one of them apologizing for not having believed me about the abuse and telling me that my ex-husband had been going around telling everyone that I was exaggerating the abuse or that I was exaggerating or both. So it explained a lot. So anyway, flash back to sitting in the church pew and this so-called friend of mine that I believe, again, had the best of intentions, you know, I can't tell her exactly what's going on. So I just tell her I'm really depressed. And, you know, I'm saying other things that I'm feeling sad about, but they're not the real cause. They're just symptoms of what's really bothering me, which I can't tell her because, you know, I'm supposed to honor my husband. And it, and in my mind, because of the brainwashing back then and the spiritual abuse, if I tell her what my husband's actually doing wrong to me, which I did not understand at the time, that it was sinful of him to do those things to me. It wasn't that I would be sinning if I told about what he was doing. Um, it actually would be me being a good helpmeet to my husband if I told someone what he was doing. Um, 
But that's a whole nother story because eventually I did try to tell people and they didn't believe me and tried to give me marriage counseling and tried to mediate between us, which obviously didn't work. And then they all ended up apologizing after their failed attempts because marriage counseling and mediation does not work for abuse because abuse is not a marriage problem. Abuse is an abuse problem. So anyway, I'm sitting there in the sanctuary and I'm not telling her exactly what's really wrong in her defense. But she looks at me, well, you just have to pull yourself together. That is the worst thing she or anyone could have possibly said to me. She didn't understand that I had already pulled myself together enough to just make it to the church physically and sit in the sanctuary in the church building. Like that was the most defeating thing I think anyone has ever said to me in my entire life. And she was trying to help me, but she was like, you're just going to have to pull yourself together and make up your mind, basically. Well, the problem was, it wasn't that my mind wasn't made up. My faith in God has always been strong. In fact, you know, um, those of you who've heard my extended family history, um, I am just so unique from both sides of my parents' divorced my parents divorced when I was five and I, my personality and my beliefs are so different and so unique from both sides of my family that I've never fit in with any of them anywhere. And so, um, either side. And so even my own family, um, had alienated me since the time I was young. And then, you know, I had lots and lots of issues I had to deal with because of that. And, you know, unhealthy habits and patterns of behavior I personally had developed because of that being ostracized by both sides of my family. Like I just never fit in with either side and I still don't. Um, I'm just so different, you know, and I'm not accepted for who I am. And so my family on both sides very much alienated me. And um, when I would try to confront it, like, I would just try to be kind to both sides of my family, to my, all my members, no matter how much, no matter how they treated me. But eventually, I would get frustrated, and I would explode, and I would blow up, which was very unhealthy of me, you know. But I was carrying that with me. And so, when I was sitting in that sanctuary, I was, it was my way of exploding, but silently because I wasn't allowed or I felt like I wasn't allowed to say the truth. I felt like, I mean, I was being oppressed. I was being spiritually oppressed and physically for that matter. And um, this is actually very common for abusers. Um, the control and the manipulation and the brainwashing and especially um I'm going to say, quote unquote, religious, although, although I hate that term, religious people or religious men who claim that, well, you have to submit to me because you're my wife. And that's what the Bible says. God tells you to submit to my authority. Well, yes, he does. But he also tells the husband not to lord it over his wife. The husband who's following the biblical mandate is supposed to be serving, excuse me, 
serving his wife and not only serving her, but serving her sacrificially. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. That's how Christ loved the church. The Bible also says, husbands, love your wives as you love your own body, for nobody hates their body but feeds it and cares for it. In other words, you don't treat your wife with hate, hatred. And so when a husband is abusing his wife, he's disobeying God. He is actually the one sinning here. Now, I'm not saying the wife's not sinning at all because I don't know because I'm not there. I'm not in your circumstances, right? Um, and I know like we're all human and we all sin. Romans 3.23 says, for we all fall short of the glory of God. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And in, I believe it's 1 John, it says that if you say you're without sin, then you lie and the truth is not in you. So we're all human, so we all sin. We all strive not to with God's help, hopefully. So anyway, I'm getting a little off track there, off the beaten track. But it was spiritual abuse, unbeknownst to the person, I believe, who was trying to help me, to tell me, She's basically saying, just suck it up, which I used to tell my children as a joke, suck it up, buttercup, you know, um, in other words, you need to be a little tougher, develop a little tougher skin. And there are situations and occasions where we need to do that, but definitely not in the case of abuse. Um, you know, and the last thing I want to do is pass this generational curse of abuse down to my children. It stops with me in the name of Jesus Christ, it stops with me. My children will not continue to have abuse in their lives. They'll not be abuse, abusive, and they'll not be abused. Thank you, Jesus. So that was spiritual abuse. Um, spiritual abuse was also when I was told um, that... Uh, you're the wife, so you must submit to your husband when people didn't know that he was abusing me. A wife is not biblically called or required to submit to an abusive husband. That is not going to win an abusive husband over. It is not the same as an unbeliever. Not at all. I would like to read something to you um, by... Uh, a pastor who has his own um, story of um, domestic violence. His father was actually an alcoholic and abused his mother. And um, his name is Patrick Weaver, and he has a ministry on Facebook. And yesterday he posted something that really spoke to me. And it's a little long, but I want to read it to you. And I'd like to encourage you to pause the podcast and look up each of the scripture references that I read that he mentions. Okay, so here this goes from Patrick Weaver Ministries. Excuse me. He says, no, I do not need to pray and ask God what to do about tolerating unacceptable behavior. That is the type of teaching that undermines the power, authority, and dominion God gave each of us. Why is it that God gave us power and authority to trample on snakes and scorpions 
and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Luke 10.19 But when it comes to removing wicked, abusive, and willfully destructive people from our lives, folks tell us to pray and wait about it. Pray and wait for what? God already answered it clearly. Okay? God, do you want me to throw my pearls down before swine? No. Matthew chapter 7 verse 6. God, do you want me to resist the enemy or pet the enemy? Resist. James 4 7. God, do you want my forgiveness to be synonymous with tolerance? No. Is removing someone from my life who refuses to respect me in agreement with the entire Bible? Yes, and it is summed up in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. God, does it matter if they are saved or not? No. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12 and 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 16. God, does it matter what their title is? what their relationship to me is, or if they are DNA related? No, the closer they are to you, the higher the standard for behavior is. Matthew 12, 46 to 50, Romans 2, 11, Ephesians 5, 25 to 29, Ephesians 6, 4, Colossians 3, 21, 1 Timothy 5, 8, and 1 John 4, 20. Do I expect the same behavior? Or fruit from a non-believer as I do from a believer or a person in relationship with me and a person not in relationship with me, me being capitalized, referring to God? And the answer is no. And that is from scripture references, John chapter 9, verse 31, John 15, 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 14, and 1 John 3, 14. Relationship means to mutually agree to the requirements to walk together. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Amos 3.3 Relationship comes with responsibilities, boundaries, and conditions, including relationship with me, lowercase, meaning you and I. Romans 1.28-32 Galatians 6, 7, and Revelation 3, 19. God, does it ever benefit me to submit to, walk to, tolerate, or put up with evil? No, evil corrupts character. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and Proverbs 13, 20. God, what about forgive 70 times seven times? That is a parable related to the salvation of mankind, not a commandment to tolerate wicked people. Forgiveness means you've entrusted them to me. It doesn't mean they're repentant, changed, or safe. You will know them by their fruit, not by your forgiveness. Matthew seven sixteen to 20. Not even I, your God, will not tolerate willfully willfully wicked and rebellious people. I will turn the willfully wicked and rebellious over to a reprobate mind. Romans 1, 28-32 again. When you follow my word and remove the intentionally wicked and rebellious person from your life, you will only need to forgive them once. 
because your divine boundaries will not give them the option to continue destroying your life. Matthew 7, 6 and Titus 3, 10 to 11. God, what about loving someone unconditionally? Loving unconditionally does not mean tolerating unconditionally. You can love someone in Christ and remove them from or deny them access to your life. Titus 3, 10 to 11 again, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, and 1 Corinthians 5, 11. That is why everybody I love unconditionally won't make it to heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Matthew seven twenty one to 23. Patrick Weaver says, listen, beloved, you have the answer and the authority to do what God already told you to do. Do not mistake praying for the courage to do what God told you to do with praying for an answer from God about what you're supposed to do. When the word gives the answer, reconcile emotions, thoughts, and opinions with what God already said, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Regardless of what anybody else says, let God be true and every, every human being, sorry, let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Romans 3, 4. If they don't like your boldness, your authority, and ability to do what God already said to do, let them take that up with God and do what you have to do. And then he always signs it, carry on. So spiritual abuse, um, this refers to a lot of spiritual abuse. It talks about, you know, um, People sometimes tell us, well, just pray about it. Or um, especially with domestic abuse and abused wives, I got told, well, you need to forgive him. Or if you would be a better wife, then he'd be a better husband and he would stop abusing you. No, that is spiritual abuse, my friends. It's also called, um, what is it called? Uh, when you transfer the blame from one person to another. Blame shifting also called victim blaming and blame shifting. Okay. Um, the person abusing again is making a choice to abuse an abusive husband. And I'm using that again because I was an abused wife. So I'm just speaking from my experience. I know there are abused uh, husbands and abusive wives as well, but an abusive husband is making a choice to abuse his wife. An abusive husband is not going to change if she prays more. Trust me, she's already praying. I mean, any woman who's being abused is feeling desperate. I'll just be blunt, bluntly honest. When a wife is being abused, especially a Christian wife, she feels desperate. So trust me, she's already praying. You can't tell her to pray more because she's already praying as much as she humanly possibly can. So telling a, a wife to be a better wife or to pray more for her husband, that's not helping anything. It's not resolving anything. It's not helping the situation. It's not solving the problem because the problem is not the wife's spiritual walk with God. <laughs> Do you hear me, brothers and sisters? The problem is not going to be solved by an abused wife praying more for her husband because the problem isn't the wife's spiritual walk with God. 
It is actually the husband's spiritual walk with God, the one who is abusing. It is actually the abuse. And if the husband's spiritual walk with God were good, he wouldn't be abusing his wife. The fact that he is being abusive precludes any possibility of it or existence of his having a good spiritual relationship, a good relationship with God. He doesn't. He obviously does not have that. Um, he may think he does, but he's not producing fruit. And scripture tells us to examine fruit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So when a husband is abusing his wife, he's actually pr producing the opposite of fruit, whatever that is. I don't know, wilted fruit, who knows. But whatever it is, he's he's not producing anything positive. Abuse is not beneficial for a marriage relationship in any way, shape, or form. Not only is it not beneficial, it should be intolerable. And we as church body members and leaders and ministers and whatever we are, we should not be condoning and encouraging the abuse. And you say, well, I'm not. Well, yes, you are. If you are blaming the victim, if you are telling the wife she needs to pray more for her husband so he'll stop abusing her, I'm sorry, but you are part of the problem. I know that sounds very harsh and very blunt, but it's the truth. That doesn't solve anything. In fact, it's not only not solving the problem of her husband abusing her, it's actually compounding the problem. Do you have any clue how much courage it takes for an abused wife to finally go behind her husband's back and actually tell somebody what's actually happening to her behind closed doors? It's embarrassing. And plus, she's terrified because 99% of those abuse, okay, that's my arbitrary percentage, but a high percentage of those abusive husbands are and have been threatening their wives. You better not tell anyone about this. My ex-husband used to say, what goes on behind closed doors is our private business. It's nobody's business. And that was a way he could enable his abuse of me to continue. And if I told someone, he said I was a bad wife because I wasn't honoring him as a husband and I wasn't submitting to him. I'm sorry, people, but folks, that's bullcrap. <laughs> Excuse my French there a little bit, but no, that is so wrong. And that's just another attempt to manipulate and control his wife. He doesn't want to be exposed, sister. That's what's really going on there. The man doesn't want people to know that he's abusing his wife because deep down he knows what he's doing is wrong. He knows it's wrong. And he doesn't want to be exposed. Um, another example of spiritual abuse in my personal marriage was my ex-husband made himself buddy-buddy with the leader, best friends, um, with the leader of our community care program in my old church where I was attending and my husband, ex-husband had stalked me to. So he basically helped out with that ministry a lot and was there all the time and kind of got to know the pastor who oversaw that ministry. So by the time I finally gained up the courage and strength to separate from my abusive ex-husband, 
the pastor over that community care ministry knew my husband, supposedly. He knew the what my husband showed him, my ex-husband, and he didn't know me at all. So of course he's going to take his side and not believe me. And so I was spiritually abused one time when I tried to call him and ask him for help because my ex-husband was, again, trying to manipulate me by not providing financially um, because I had been a stay-at-home mom. And so he was withholding finances so that I couldn't feed our children, <laughs> which the Bible says something about that, but that's not even the point right now. So I'm not going to go there about a husband not providing for his family or his children. And so when I finally just one time called and asked for help, because that was what this community care ministry was supposed to be for, I got accused of falsehoods, which was also spiritual abuse. And again, I'm sure this pastor um, had the best intentions in mind. I don't totally fault him for that because he was being deceived um, by my ex-husband. And and that's the thing. These abusive men, they're one way in private and another, another way in public because they're preserving their public image. So everyone thinks they're so sweet and nobody can believe you. But anyway, um, nobody, they're, they're all shocked when you finally say something. They're like, what? Not him. He's so sweet. I even had a pastor, another pastor say that to me once. What? Not him. He's so sweet. And I looked at him and I said, you live with him then. <laughs> Because he didn't believe me, you know. But anyway, this community care pastor, when I called him and I asked him for financial help because my ex-husband was withholding funds to try to manipulate and control me um, because he knew the best way to hurt me was through our children. He's always known that. And they know that. The abusive husbands know, abusive husbands know that. And I called the community care pastor, which is what I was supposed to do in my church, and ask for help. And in the past, please understand, my ex-husband and I, financially, we had helped other people, okay? But now he was withholding things from me so I couldn't take care of our children who were staying with me. It was all an attempt to get the kids away from me, which to this day he still tries to do. But anyway, um, and, and he's very subtle about it. I don't talk to him anymore, but I just, there are certain reasons I know. But anyway, so when I was asking for help, I'm on the phone and it's humbling. It's so humbling to have to ask for help like that. This pastor of community care actually accused me of some stuff that was false. And he said, well, all you care about is the house. He told me all you care about is the house. I'm like, what? I said, no. I said, I filed for divorce and all I asked for was custody of the kids and the house because I don't want my children. They're already going to have to go through a divorce. I was trying to protect my kids, our kids. I said, they're already going to have to go through a divorce. I don't want them to have to be uprooted from their home also, in addition to already going through a divorce. I've gone through a divorce. My parents divorced when I was five and it's excruciating. It's painful for everyone involved, especially the children. And I knew my kids were going to have to go through that, unfortunately. But I also knew ultimately it was the healthiest thing for all of us because when my ex-husband strangled me and I literally almost died, um, my God showed me a picture of my children in my mind briefly for like a millisecond and said, they need you. You're the, I created them 
I created you to be their mother and nobody loves them like you and nobody can mother them like you. Not that I'm a perfect mother, but that I'm the mother that God created for them and that they needed, both of my children. And, you know, I did my best and I made some mistakes like everyone, a lot of mistakes, but I did my very best. And um, where was I? I got off on a tangent here. So, oh, so I'm on the phone with the community care pastor and he's accusing me of all you care. He literally said, all you care about is the house, quote unquote. And so I'm trying to explain it to him. He didn't believe me. My ex-husband had him so convinced. So that right there, that was spiritual abuse. Telling me that, you know, all I cared about was the house. First of all, who are you to judge my motives? You don't know my motives. Only God knows my motives, right? Um, so don't let people, please don't let people try to talk you into that you're a horrible person or that all you care about is the house or, you know, all you care about are your possessions or you're a gold digger or anything like that. If that's not true, I mean, you know your heart and God knows your heart. And that is just an attempt by your abuser to control and manipulate you again. Um, another example of spiritual abuse is when, you know, um, and this pastor, this was another pastor. They all had good intentions. They were all trying to help bless their hearts. They just, they weren't trained. They didn't understand the nuances of domestic violence. And so they were just making things worse instead of better. But another pastor and this pastor, to his credit, eventually apologized to me. Um, but this pastor, after church one day, demanded and forced me to stand at the front of the sanctuary, face my ex-husband, and tell him I forgave him, which was ludicrous because I forgave him. Just because you forgive someone doesn't give them license to keep abusing you or sinning against you. And just because you forgive someone, you know, doesn't mean you should condone or tolerate abusive behavior. As a wife and help me, if our husbands are abusing us, it is our biblical responsibility to try to help them stop abusing us because that's not being a godly husband. <laughs> I'll just put it bluntly. And we can't force them. We can't make our husbands do what they're supposed to do. And that's why they tell us to pray. But again, a wife praying more for her husband doesn't fix the problem of abuse in a marriage because the problem isn't the wife's spiritual walk. The problem is the husband's abuse. I am a living testimony to that, a living testament, because my relationship with God was closer than it's ever been when I was being abused because he was all I had. He was all I had to turn to. God was the only one who truly knew what was going on with me because I had become such an expert at covering up for my ex-husband. So that was another example of spiritual abuse. Another example of spiritual abuse is when a church tells a wife to submit to a husband when her husband's abusing her, or the church doesn't acknowledge that there's abuse when there is. Another example of spiritual abuse is when I discovered later that um, my ex-husband had been telling people that my ex-husband or that I was exaggerating the abuse. First of all, it didn't even occur to me right away. It didn't dawn on me immediately when I first heard that. 
when I first heard, oh, well, he was telling us all that you were exaggeratingly abused. I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I see now why you didn't believe me back then. But then slowly I realized, now, wait a minute. If my ex-husband told you I was exaggerating the abuse, why would you be okay with him abusing me at all? There should be no abuse, period. So abuse is okay as long as I don't exaggerate it? Is that what you're saying? It's okay for my husband to abuse me as long as I don't go around exaggerating how bad he does it or how badly he does it? No, no abuse is okay. That should have been a red flag right there. Him going around saying, well, she's exaggerating the abuse. Uh, no, no. And secondly, not only was I not exaggerating, I was actually minimizing and covering up for him. It took so much courage for me to finally come out of that brainwashed shell and confess and admit to somebody I'm a victim of domestic violence. Here's another spiritual abuse, in my opinion, when people say, oh, you just see yourself as a victim. <laughs> if you're being abused, my friend, you are a victim. Can you overcome that? Yes. Have you already overcome that through the authority and power of Jesus Christ in your life when you're a believer? Absolutely, yes. Um, this is a spiritual battle, friends. This is a spiritual battle. It is a war on your soul and on your husband's soul if you're married to your abuser or whoever it is. This is a spiritual battle. And Bible scripture says, for we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this dark world. But greater is he who's in us, meaning Jesus, than he who is in the world, meaning Satan. Jesus is way greater than Satan, you know. And another reason I've delayed um, airing and recording this podcast is because I know I'm going to be under enemy attack after this. I just hate that. Every time I step out strongly and come against this spiritually, I get attacked. So please keep me in your prayers, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but I, I want to help you if it can help one person. I, I had nobody. I literally had nobody helping me. And I want to help you. And things like podcasts, to my knowledge, weren't around and didn't exist back when I was going through this. I had no one to talk to, and I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to feel alone and hopeless. You are not alone, okay? Unfortunately, this happens a lot more often than people like to admit. And don't be embarrassed to share your story. If you are being physically abused by your husband, emotionally abused, mentally, sexually, financially, spiritually, do not be embarrassed because it's not your fault. It is not your fault. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It can happen to anyone. I remember I was so embarrassed and scared to share what was really happening to me. Um, but don't be embarrassed. It's not your fault. Your abuser is choosing to act this way. Your abuser is choosing to treat you this way. Don't let him tell you he can't help it. It's a choice. So those are just a few examples of spiritual abuse. There are a lot more. Um, but you as a wife, when the Bible says, submit to your husband as to the Lord, it means as to the Lord. It doesn't mean submit to your husband no matter how he treats you. 
because the Lord wouldn't abuse you. The Lord wouldn't treat you that way. The Lord would not mistreat you. Okay. So that's some spiritual abuse right there too. So Father God, I just pray for every sister here listening to this podcast and brother. Lord, I pray you would um, guide them to safety and deliver them from evil in the name of Jesus, that you'll protect them, that you'll protect me. Um, Put your angels around them, help them get to safety. If they have children, help them get their children to safety Um, and, and be with these mamas, Lord. And I just pray that you deliver them from evil in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying so that we can live for you with you forever. Um, thank you for each person here. And I just pray a special blessing on each one. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. I love you. And remember, Jesus loves you more. Until next time.